spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Chaminade University. Well, good morning. It is 10.30 here in Hawaii, which means it's time for Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Ryan Kalei-Suji, joined by Yanji Denise, and we want to thank you for tuning in already this morning. And Yanji, today we head back to the Hawaii State Capitol to speak to a familiar face. That's right. Lieutenant Governor Josh Green is joining us now. He, of course, is not only the Lieutenant Governor, he's a doctor, and we're going to ask you to put your doctor hat on this morning. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Um, so I want to start off with this new variant. It has so many folks uh, very concerned. The president of the United Sp States spoke earlier this morning uh, saying that this is not a cause for alarm, but certainly something that they are very concerned about in Washington. How concerned are you here in Hawaii? I'm modestly concerned. Again, thank you for having me. We've gone through a lot together over the last two years with the pandemic and COVID has had multiple mutations the worst of which was the Delta variant, as everyone knows. And the Delta variant right now represents 99.9% .9 of all cases in the country, in Hawaii, and so on. But these variants occur when the virus mutates. And what we're talking about when we talk about this Omicron uh, is a mutation. It's a, actually a series of mutations. It's 32 mutations at least on the part of the virus, which we call uh, well, specifically, it's the spike protein part of the virus. That's the part of the virus that will kind of stick into our cells and infect us. And what we've done is we've created, as everyone knows, a vaccine, a series of vaccines to give ourselves a signal to create immune cells called antibodies to go and fight this virus. Now, when the virus mutates, because there have been, well, there's at least 261 million confirmed cases globally. I'm sure there's many more than that, people who didn't get tested. The virus, every time it's in somebody, has a chance to mutate a bit. And if it mutates a lot at that spike protein, then the concern is, will our vaccinations be good enough? Will they stop this new variant of the virus? And that's what we're looking into right now. So I wouldn't have anyone panic. The best thing that we've done has been to get a lot of our people vaccinated. We can talk about those numbers, but the numbers in Hawaii are better than any other state now. We're over, look, we're over 83% of all of our 12 year olds and older. That's anyone who's 12 and up, 83% are fully vaccinated in our state. It's unheard of. That means we're super protected very few cases in the hospital. But if Omicron ends up being sufficiently different from the Delta variant or the other variants, then we'll get more concerned. And in that scenario, say if we, it proves that the vaccine isn't as uh, efficient or it does not protect against this new variant, what would we <clears throat> be looking at from a policy standpoint? Could we see more restrictions being put back into place in order to prevent uh, any future spread? Well, I wouldn't want to go there yet uh, at all because, of course, there's no cases that we've found in the U.S., mainland right now, and no cases in Hawaii. We're being careful. We have a couple other shields up. We've got Hawaii Safe Travels Program, which has been very protective. Got to be vaccinated, and you have to otherwise, if you're not vaccinated, get a pretest to come here. But your point is, what if this virus, you know, is out there, and even if you were vaccinated, you could be carrying this thing? So that's why. Also, we have the federal protection, which is any international travelers have to have both vaccination 
and a pretest. They have to have both. And then finally, what would happen is within two to four weeks, the companies that make these vaccinations would adjust the genetic makeup to deal with the Omicron genet uh, genetic makeup. In other words, they are already analyzed in the genes. And I spoke this morning with the deputy director of the CDC and got this information point blank for us in Hawaii. They're already assessing that genetic makeup to make sure that they're ready just in case. Now, again, knock wood that what we've done so far is enough that the vaccinations will continue to be fully effective. And again, it's not 100 percent, but as you know, you're pretty safe if you've been vaccinated. But if this thing goes around it, through it, over it, then we'll have to adjust the vaccination. And none of us want to deal with that or hear that, but we will have to follow the science. And the important thing is that we keep ourselves safe, uh, healthy and moving forward through this pandemic. So I hope it doesn't come to that, but we'll be ready. Would there be a consideration to change the Safe Travels program so that you add that extra layer of protection like they have, as you mentioned, for the international uh, travelers, uh, where we have the vaccine requirement and a pretest in addition? Is there any thought to bringing back the pretest if this variant is detected on the mainland? Yeah, that was one of, one of my very first thoughts when I heard uh, what was possible. I was really grateful that we don't have any cases so far. And also what I immediately did was also looked at our numbers very carefully. And a deep dive into the numbers right now shows that our positivity rate is utterly low. It's down at 1.39%. And that's compared to 5.76% on the mainland and much higher in different places across the globe. So if we started seeing our numbers go up or we started also detecting across the United States, the genetic makeup of the Omicron variant, then that is a discussion we'll have. Now, I don't know if it will come to that even then. I think that would be an extremely uh, precautionary step to take. Again, we don't know yet if it's going to be a severe variant at all as far as health goes. We've heard that the symptoms are a little different. People are having a lot of uh, extreme fatigue, for example, and then headaches with this. But I don't think that it's been quite as bad from a respiratory standpoint. We also don't want it to spread widely because we've been so well vaccinated. So these will be the things to balance. Some people are going to immediately jump on the bandwagon of absolutely test every single person before they travel here. And I think that we have to be sensible about things. Right now, though, we do have protection against travelers from the international community. As you know, President Biden put a travel ban on at least temporarily from South Africa, Botswana, five other countries, the countries where they've had the cases. So they won't be traveling to the United States. But We've got epidemiologists and public health officials all across the country scouring their population to see if Omicron's there. As we look to you know, other countries and other states, even within our country, to see what's happening there, that has often been a, a case of what will happen eventually here in Hawaii. And what we're seeing through Europe is some of those rising case numbers, uh, some saying that the efficacy of the vaccination uh, vaccine is wearing out on some who initially got it early on when it became available. Uh, what are your thoughts about what's happening uh, in Europe and throughout the world as we kind of track what's happening elsewhere to help gauge what policies and implementations happen here at home? Well, we are seeing several things. Uh, in some of the world where they were well vaccinated, yes, the immunity begins to wane after six months and therefore you need booster shots. The United States, as you know, has decided to boost everyone. And certainly the recommendation is everyone over 50. People under 50 are not having, if they're fully vaccinated, almost any health problems whatsoever now. They couldn't even register a mortality rate for people under 50 who are vaccinated. So that's great. That means no one was dying. Now, we have to boost individuals. And in our state, we've been pretty aggressive about boosting. The Department of Health just updated the number about an hour ago. Uh, we were having a difficult time because a lot of people were just showing up for that third shot and they weren't 
making it clear whether or not that shot was their third shot or an initiation shot. So we now know that we have 228,892 third shots that have been given, boosters in other words. That's really good. That's 16% of our population already has received the booster. I, I got a booster as I'm on call still at the hospital. You can see the value there because if immunity had waned, and remember your body does remember what the virus looks like. It doesn't just have immunity to the, um, the spike protein on top of this virus. It also has what's called T cell immunity, which means it's our cells, our, our lymphatic cells have kind of a recollection of what they have to do if they see anything like this virus. So you got lots of immunity in you, but getting that booster helps. I hope that everyone who is, who is uh, vaccinated will ultimately go get a booster in our state. And right now that's like 1.1 million people. So once people have been six months since they had either the Pfizer or Moderna shot, I highly recommend they go get a booster. And if it's been two months since you had your Johnson & Johnson shot, you go get that second shot, which in this case is the booster. All of this means that our rates are really low. I mean, they are super duper low compared to the mainland. We're down at 40 people in the hospital total. That's 91% decrease. We're at 1,000, um, I'm sorry, 1,383 total active cases in our state. We had reached 11,500 in early September. So, you know, we're about 90% down from our peaks. And you know that our counts have been pretty good. We're averaging, what is it, 82 cases per day right now over the last week. So our counts are really low. That means we're safer. There's less virus circulating. And people who are getting boosted are even doing an extra strong job over the holidays. But look, all eyes are going to be on Omicron the next two weeks because we want to make sure that we're not dealing with a new beast. I did talk to experts uh, before we've ever heard about Omicron, and this is what they told me about mutations. They said typically it takes three to five years before there's a mutation of consequence so much that you would kind of reboot your vaccination or even consider doing that. They really think it's very unlikely that you could see mutations that are consequential enough to go around a vaccination this fast. But this virus has been affecting hundreds of millions of people. And every time it goes through another couple hundred million people, that's you know increasing the probability, basically, that you're going to see some significant uh, variant. All I can tell you is Hawaii is better prepared and protected than anywhere else. But that doesn't mean we're immune or completely ironclad safe. Can you tell us a little bit more about what they're doing to try to detect the variant in the in Hawaii, what the surveillance testing looks like, how long that process takes? And I mean, at this point, does it it, it feels like and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like a matter of when, not if we get this variant here. Um, it's a little too early for me to say, Yunji, I mean, about whether it's just an absolute when, because it just hasn't happened yet across the mainland. and. A lot of the other variants really did peter out. I mean, the mu variant petered out, it burned out, it got overwhelmed by the Delta variant, and it just didn't catch on. So that is possible. I mean, we could get a couple cases, but it just doesn't catch on because the Delta variant is so overwhelming. Uh, so that is possible. Now, what do we do to actually detect it? So when the Department of Health has a reported case, and of course there are hundreds of reported cases every week, what they do is they take random samples of those cases, 75 or so a week, and they do a full genetic analysis of those. It takes about seven days. I think we do have the equipment here. That's my understanding. Uh, I don't believe we have to send it off anywhere. And we do a full genetic assessment of that particular person's virus. And we find out that that virus is, in almost all cases now, the Delta variant. If we started seeing a few of these other cases that looked like the Omicron, we'd be able to immediately compare it to the genetic makeup that we now have characterized uh, from our scientists working with the South African scientific community and we would then be able to report, okay, we have 
two or three or whatever number of cases of one of the variants. For a while there, we had a lot of different variants. We had the alpha and the beta and then the delta swept in basically, but we never made a big deal about some of the other variants. And I know people are asking like, why are you even calling this thing Omicron? We were joking before that it sounds like a transformer, right? And uh, all of our kids and, and friends know about that. Well, it's a Greek letter, right? Omicron. It's the 15th letter is my understanding in the Greek alphabet. We've skipped a couple letters because we didn't want confusion. For instance, XI is the same uh, letters and symbols that the president of China has. So we didn't want to do that. Then there's the new and new uh, variant that they skipped over as a title because they didn't want confusion about the English word new, N-E-W. We didn't want a new virus to be considered. But we came across Omicron and that's where the next one was up. Kind of like we named storms, you know, and hopefully this will not be a big storm. Hopefully it'll be a very small storm that goes away. But that's why we've got to watch this. And we will get as many samples as we can sent off because every state, every state's health director is on this right now. In fact, this morning we were lucky enough to get briefed by Director Char and we'll continue to do that throughout the day. And a lot of us have channels also to the federal government to get more and more information. You'll see it on the news, though, uh, here locally and nationally. If there's a um, sudden like surge of these cases in some state or city or even in other countries that we have to kind of isolate ourselves from. I want to bring in a question from Christine Donnelly, who asked what percentage of the daily domestic arrivals are neither vaccinated nor tested? There are people who are supposed to quarantine upon arrival. Anecdotally, it seems mostly returning Hawaii residents. We know that, of course, this is an option for those who choose not to get uh, vaccinated or test to go towards these, this quarantine route. Uh, do we know what percentage of people coming in uh, have opted for this? Historically, it's been around 8% of people who didn't want to participate in the Safe Travels program at all and then went right into quarantine. Almost all of those people have been local returning residents, though, because people just realize if they travel to Hawaii for a vacation and they go into quarantine, they've now heard enough stories that they're not going to be allowed out of their hotel. Uh, they try to go to an Airbnb and they don't often get, uh, get the privilege to check in. So it's been mostly our local people. But remember, more and more of our individuals have been getting vaccinated. So I'd have to go back and kind of reboot my own numbers because now we are at 83% of all 12-year-olds and older, like I said earlier, that are vaccinated. 76% of all five-year-olds and older in our state have been completed for their vaccinations. And there's just so few people that have totally refused to get vaccinated that that number, as far as travelers go, is very small. But it's a risk. And I would say this, if people are unvaccinated right now and they're traveling to the mainland, they just have such a high risk of catching the Delta variant that they're probably going to come back and they probably won't spread it much because everyone around them should be vaccinated, but they will get sick themselves. So I just keep coming back to that point. Just please get vaccinated because it'll be safer for you and for the loved ones that you live with. But can't force anybody to do it. I do think it's a question of um, free will. Can I get you to tell us that childhood vaccination number? That sounds awfully high. Is that right? Five to 11-year-olds? No, I meant that was five and above. Now, oh, five and above. Break, okay. Yeah, forgive me. So every kid, person, citizen, five and above, 76% are fully vaccinated. Let's break it down, though, from age five to 11. So five to 11, which includes my son, Sam, who's 11. He got his first shot. 19%, 1-9% of all of those five to 11 years, years old have gotten their initial vaccination. That's 22,500 kids. And then 2% of them have been fully completed now because they got their second shot. It's been about three weeks since we started that. So that 19% initiation is quite good. 
Now contrast that with ages 12 to 17 that have been eligible for some time. That number is 68% fully vaccinated, completed, ages 12 to 17. In that category, my daughter Maya falls. She's 14-year-old. And so I think that we're going to exceed 50%, maybe get into the 60 percentile for young kids age 5 to 11 vaccinated. It's a lot of keiki because we've got, I think it's 119,000 keiki that are age 5 to 11. Uh, there is still the category, I believe you've got one, um, zero to four, and that's 84,000 uh, children that can't be vaccinated yet. Now, they're at very low risk. So we've done things that other states just can't even dream of. I mean, other states have begun to initiate their vaccinations, but none of them were over 80% for completion, uh, to my knowledge. So we are protected, at least against all of the variants that we've been dealing with. And I hope that we can add Omicron to that list soon, that it's not going to evade our vaccination program, because I know that's going to drive people crazy if we come to them and we say, you now have to review and revisit vaccinations. But the most important thing is that people make informed decisions based on science. And that's the recommendations I'll try to get to you. Throughout this pandemic, so many rules and regulations have changed it. And oftentimes people are left confused, wondering, is this something I can do? Is this something I should do? Uh, you know, with the holiday seasons, uh, of course, we're in the middle of it, just coming off of Thanksgiving. Many Christmas parties and celebrations are being planned for the month of December. What is your advice out there for those individuals who maybe are invited to a party, who are looking to host a party or going to some function? Uh, is this something that they should feel comfortable doing and what is allowed right now? Yes. Well, there is some change coming uh, imminently. So on December 1st, you will see a lot of the authority move back to the mayors where they and they have been terrific, will be responsible for the decisions they make on the ground in their counties. The governor was holding pretty tight to uh, statewide rules and emergency authorities because we've seen what happened in a lot of states where the virus got out of control. Uh, even so, I'm glad that we're getting rid of some of the emergency uh, proclamation and the mayors will start taking control and setting their own standards. I'm pretty certain that, for instance, on Oahu, that Mayor Blanchiardi is going to lift most of the restrictions on gathering size because so many people are vaccinated. Oahu's vaccination rate is 74% uh, of the total population. Total population, three out of four people are fully vaccinated. And then a lot of other people caught COVID and have natural immunity. So he's preaching personal responsibility and I respect that. I would say if you're vaccinated, go to the Christmas party, go to the Hanukkah party, go to the New Year's party because you're fully vaccinated and you're safe. Now, if you're in with a larger group than you feel comfortable with, or if you don't know some of those people and, and whether or not they've been vaccinated, you're not going to do yourself any harm by putting a mask on just on the outside chance that you get a breakthrough case. But if you're having a family party and you know your family is pretty well taken care of for vaccination purposes, go in and give them a hug and, and you know have a loving time together because we, we don't really put enough, as far as I'm concerned, of a priority on returning back to normal uh, and that means returning back to social norms, economic norms, which has been very critical, and the psychologic norms that we have to have, which is we are a, um, a gathering people here in Hawaii more than anywhere else. So I think you should just live your lives normally if you're fully vaccinated. Now, if you're not fully vaccinated or not vaccinated at all, you would be wise to wear a mask around anybody because you don't want to catch COVID and you don't definitely don't want to be that last person who ends up in the intensive care unit at one of our incredible hospitals. So that's the, you know, the recommendation I would say uh, to make. People have to, again, make their own decisions. You're better outside rather than inside for parties. So if you can be out and having you know, a party at the beach or in the open air or in a courtyard or in your backyard, 
that is way safer than being indoors. But if you're vaccinated, you're basically safe. And I, I, I don't want you to worry about things too much. I know we hate to speak in hypotheticals, but George has a question here, and it, it kind of uh, builds on what Ryan had asked you earlier, which is what is the state's plan if we have to proverbially go back to square one because Omicron evades vaccine protections? Um, again, I know you don't want to speak in hypotheticals, but we have to have some kind of a plan. Sure. Uh, thank you, George. Uh, George writes me a lot and comments on my Facebook pages a lot, so I appreciate that. The um, the plan would be if if we found out if we found out I'll say if a third time that Omicron went around uh, people's immunity, then we would form a new vaccination, and we would make sure that we had extra protections before people could get into the state of Hawaii. Because right now we do not have any significant number of Omicron cases. We're very certain of that, and then we would make sure that we did extra tests on people before they came into the state of Hawaii. We're the only state because of our safe travels program that would have that capacity. So we would be able to hypothetically, theoretically, uh, put up that barrier in addition to people being vaccinated because there still would be a lot of Delta out there that we would want people vaccinated against. I assume in that circumstance, and we'll know in a couple weeks, that a vaccination will get re-engineered uh, by the chemical, uh, the pharmaceutical companies, forgive me, that have made these vaccinations, and they would then introduce another booster, which we would once again have to get and make available to our people. Uh, I don't expect that to happen, but we'll be very careful. You know, you mentioned the uh, emergency proclamation and the changes that will be happening actually on December 1st, going back to the mayors. Uh, but there has been some criticism of uh, by the legislature towards the governor for enacting too many of these emergency proclamations. And members of the legislature are looking to possibly change uh, state, you know, state policy and, and what is allowed under the authorization of an emergency or emergency order, uh, looking to somewhat limit the governor, if you will, and his capacity to do these things. As someone who is uh, running for that office and could be in that seat, do you agree with, uh, with the legislature in their stance on trying to limit the authority of that office? You know, I have a lot of respect for the legislature. I worked with those guys. Uh, they're dear friends to me uh, for 14 years, four years in the House, 10 years in the Senate. I've seen it from both sides. I completely understand. And I do think that the governor let the emergency proclamations go on too long. I will say this, if that does change, and if I do become governor, not only will I work hand in hand uh, with my colleagues in the legislature so that that won't be a problem, but also I will invite them to come back into session more often if need be, so that they can collaborate with me formally. But it will absolutely be an open line of communication between me and my Senate and House colleagues. I think we're in this together. And a lot of the best ideas came out of the legislature during this um, during this pandemic, you know, uh, the speaker fought hard to get some extra testing and vaccination sites up. You saw that happen. You saw the household a lot of hearings about spread uh, in some of the rural areas, and it enabled us to go and do vaccination clinics in a lot of the house districts that otherwise weren't getting quite as much attention because of health disparities. So they provided a lot of incredible input, and I expect that from leaders across the state. Now, as to actually limiting the governor's capacity to deal with emergencies, you do have to be a little bit careful because some of them happen in the middle of the night. Now, I get up at three in the morning and I'm working on these things to the East Coast and West and so on, but we're also not in session with the legislature all the time. So that might adjust how they have to function slightly. Overall, I'll be happy to navigate if I become governor, whatever laws they put into place, because I really think that having expertise in the cabinet and the legislative branch, and frankly, even the judicial branch, they also give a lot of input in a different way uh, to help keep our people safe. 
If you had to make those changes to the safe travel program, for instance, adding back that pretest uh, requirement, how soon could the state stand that up, given that they've um, you know, taken that away? We could stand it up very quickly. Uh, in two to three weeks, we'd have no problem at all putting that in as new rules. And actually, you could do it in probably 72 hours if you really had to. But in fairness, you have to inform people and give them a little bit of uh, lead time because it would change their travel plans. I'm really reluctant to speculate on those kind of things because, first of all, we don't have any Omicron cases that we're aware of in the U.S. We certainly have none in Hawaii. Second of all, we don't even know if it's more significant as a virus. And just because it evades some of the formal immunity from the vaccination, we don't know that our bodies aren't also immune to a lot of different forms, a lot of different variants, that is, of this COVID virus because of our really extraordinary immune system, as was pointed out by Director of Health this morning in our conversation. So I would say you could do it quickly. You would definitely be doing what we did before, which is we do it on the front end. We would insist on people being tested before they came to Hawaii because we simply don't have enough tests. The most tests we've ever done is five to 10,000 tests in a given day. And you're talking about 30,000 or so travelers every single day to the state of Hawaii. So we couldn't just set up uh, testing sites at the airport, swab everybody, and then direct them to uh, quarantine if they tested positive. It's just not practical. That's why I'm watching this day in and day out. Uh, it's the first moments that we heard about it, I knew this was gonna be the dialogue and the concern. I was pretty uh, impressed that the president did act vis-a-vis uh, -vis travel bans to South Africa. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but I worked in South Africa as a medical missionary doctor back when I was in medical school. And I worked on AIDS and malaria. And they do not have a very robust public health system. Now they've improved a lot. They're doing great research now and great work now. But in the rural areas of South Africa, and I was in Swaziland, which is inside of South Africa in the rural areas, they had almost nothing. And so they will see spread. And that's why we're being extra cautious. And that experience I had in South Africa was a once in a lifetime experience, actually, dealing with very rural outbreaks. Now, we are going to be dealing with these outbreaks and these concerns for many years to come. Many times it's going to be a small amount of uh, concern or fear up front, and then it usually settles down and it's going to be fine. Uh, but we're obviously attuned now to worst case scenarios because we've seen a few of them. The Delta variant is one of them. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, if we ever see an outbreak where the virus mutates and spreads, but is also also very lethal to, say, young people, the whole world is going to freeze and stop. So that's why you have public health officials all over the globe uh, checking these things out very carefully. We don't want that ever to happen because you can imagine how bad that would be, given how tough it was when we dealt with the slowdown of our, you know, our globe, our world, when the Delta variant shut us down. Uh, we can't afford that, really, from a health standpoint or a psychological standpoint. As we close out our time with you this morning, we wanted to get your final thoughts on, uh, you know, as we move through this time, again, through this holiday season and with uh, the uncertainty of this new variant, what is your message this morning for those who are tuning in? Uh, be smart, be safe, don't panic. There's no reason to panic right now at all. We've done better than any other state in the country as far as vaccinations go. We've also become very familiar with what it takes to be safe, to socially distance, to wear masks. People in Hawaii are are smart as can be when it comes to this virus. We've had some outbreaks. We've been able to put them down. We did what was necessary to bring in extra healthcare personnel when we had a surge and we would do it again if it happened again. But people should not panic. There's definitely 
going to be a cadence to this virus. There are going to be moments when there's a new variant that we have to assess. And we should be grateful that we have good scientific acumen here and across the globe to deal with it quickly. The kind of science we can apply now to this pandemic is something that we never had the capacity to do in my lifetime before. So we're really well protected, but let's make smart decisions. Having said that, go and have an extraordinary Christmas, uh, Hanukkah, other holidays uh, with your loved ones. It is important to remove, uh, return toward normal again. That is so important, I can't express it enough. If there's some alarm that has to be uh, rung, some bell that has to be banged or some siren that has to go off, we will, we will set that off for you. And I'll be there within a few minutes to actually tell you that we have a concern, whether it's a new viral variant, whether it is spread to another country or God forbid that we ever see it inside of our own state. But we're better protected than anyone. And so people should do what they can to go back toward normal for their lives. This has been a very unusual experience and we have to heal as a community and a culture as we go into 2022. That's gonna be more important than anything. Okay, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us from his office at the state capitol. We appreciate all the time and information this morning. Thank you so much. You bet, thank you. Aloha. Well, good to hear from him and you got the latest there. It does sound like the state is you know, willing to make some changes. Uh, a lot of you always asking about safe travels and that's definitely on the table. If this variant is detected on the mainland in a large degree, or if it's found here in Hawaii, or if they see the virus uptick significantly, um, he says it could take two to three weeks to give people enough time to make the changes necessary to get those tests, but it could actually be done in 72 hours if it's actually needed. I see a lot of the comments, people uh, asking for that right away, but the uh, Lieutenant Governor there, as he is in charge of safe travels, holding off on making those calls until there is significant virus detected on the mainland and here in Hawaii. Yeah, we've seen those calls for more testing for safe travels for some time, uh, including uh, really any conversation that we have with a public health official or somebody that's implementing policy, something that obviously many who at least watch our show and comment uh, strongly agree on. But the lieutenant governor, like many other leaders that we've heard from, just cautiously, cautiously optimistic about the efficacy of the vaccine against this new variant, but a lot of uh, things are yet to be determined and a lot of unknowns as more studies are being done and conducted on this new variant to see just how much of an impact it will have on the community. But the Lieutenant Governor uh, says that we are in a good position with, in regards to the number of people who have gotten vaccinated, our total percentage overall, and uh, he hopes that this uh, new variant will not impact those who have been vaccinated. Yeah, 83% fully vaccinated in our community over the age of five, uh, over the age of 12, I think over the age of five, it was in the 70s. So that is pretty significant. And um, he says far ahead of other states, of course, he is encouraging those who are eligible or who want one, actually anybody almost is eligible now to get a booster shot. Uh, if it's been more than six months since your last shot or two months, if you got Johnson & Johnson, to go ahead and get one. They're widely available free and can add another layer of protection. Uh, he talked also about the emergency powers that the governor has and saying that uh, he respects the folks in the ledge, but basically he wants to keep the powers as is because the governor needs to be nimble. And interesting, he said that he believes that the emergency proclamations went 
too long that he believes that the governor did actually overextend the use of that emergency proclamation orders. And so uh, we'll see if the governor's office has a response to that or how the legislature also responds to those comments by the lieutenant governor, noting that he said that he would give them more authority to get back into session more regularly if they wanted to be involved in that process. But again, uh, it is something that he still has to uh, earn. He has to he has an election ahead of him, has not formally announced yet either. But uh, of course, it's fundraising and has lines on, lawn, signs lawn signs available uh, for people to support him. But uh, not no official word uh, or announcement, I should say, that he is running for office. But uh, you know, it, it looks to be that he is as he continues to uh, make stances on those types of policy. Of course, if he moves on and runs for governor, his seat will become available. And there are a number of candidates that will be seeking the office of lieutenant governor. We'll be speaking to one of them on Wednesday. That's right. The head of the Chamber of Commerce here in Hawaii, Sherry Menorah McNamara, will be joining us on Wednesday to talk about her candidacy. She's a businesswoman. Uh, this is her first foray into the political arena. And we're going to talk to her about why she is running and what her platform is. Uh, and then following her, we'll be joined by UH professor and political analyst Colin Moore. He always does a great job of giving us an outlook on the race. And uh, so we'll be talking to him about that race and the governor's race as well. So please do join us right back here on Wednesday at 10.30. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii was brought to you by Chaminade University.